Yo, 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 welcome to Crate 808, and today we have a very special guest on board. It's the man who's written on a variety of subjects, from imagining what it would be like if Michael Myers from Halloween gave a press conference, to how DMX might act on <laughs> Valentine's Day, to numerous jokes about J. Cole, all the way to doing deep dives about Bolo Young's character in Bloodsport. It's the guy who, when he hears Slick Rick, is reminded of stealing a fake $100 bill from a man named Orlando. Yes, say hello to the person whose children liken him to the old guy in a wheelchair in Big Trouble in Little China. Staff writer at The Ringer, podcaster and author of four, count them four, New York Times bestsellers. South Texas motherfucker, that's where he stay. We got Shea Serrano <laughs> in the house. How are you doing, man? What's going on, homie? That was quite a quite an introduction. This 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 is bucket list for me. So you're going to get stunned. I'm just telling you, you said, right now. You, I'm, with, I'm with it. You said a lot of things. You know what's funny is I I made like a joke about J. Cole five years ago <laughs> and never nobody let me forget it. They're like, remember the joke you said about J. Cole or whatever? Like I haven't said anything about J. Cole in years, <laughs> literal years, and it's still like a thing. Oh man. Uh, well, you're gonna have to wear the tag, man, because that's 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 how we know you. I'm sorry. That's, but what, that's, that's it. what the internet does. That's what the internet does, exactly. Today we're gonna talk about numerous things. It's a nineties hip hop podcast, so we'll go into that. We'll go into your work, which has been astounding. Congrats on just all the success. Thank you. But we're all going to talk about UGK as well. Riding Dirty, you want to talk about this album. You brought it to the plate. But before we get into any of that, Shay, I've got to ask you, what is the least hip hop thing you've done in the last 24 hours? I'm on a low sodium diet. Right. And so you would you would assume that that would be like first place thing. <laughs> that's that's like not a very hip hop thing. You should just eat whatever you want. Yeah. However, Young Jeezy has this famous line where he says, I'm standing at the podium trying to watch my sodium. So he was already doing it. So that's yeah. the most that's the most hip hop thing I've done the last 24 hours is eating a low sodium diet. The, the least I don't know. I've, all of the answers that you feel like you want to give, mm. there's a there's a hip hop line for it. Like it doesn't matter. Like if I would say, oh, well, I got up really early this morning because I had a lot of work to do. Well, Pimp C has the, you, I'm up early because ain't enough light in the daytime. Like there's yeah. a line for everything. So I, I'm not certain what the least hip. Oh, I, are there any songs about the TV show Survivor? Because I watched a little bit of an episode of Survivor during my lunch break. Right. I'll take that. I I don't think but, but again, Akon and Young Jeezy have Soul Survivor. So that's off the table too. Fuck, <laughs> I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Oh, man, you're done. You're done. You're too hip hop, Shay. That's what it is. You're too hip hop. Just... Have you have you ever have you ever had like a proper rapper on the show before? I have. Yes, I have. Yeah, a few. And I'm looking forward oh, well, to it. Well, see, I was, I was going to say I'm on the show, but I didn't even say that. <laughs> <laughs> there we We're go. Can't, yeah, <laughs> no, can't do it. Sorry, I'm sorry, but it's all good. I Black like that. It. Is so good. What a what a what a great guy he is. Just the best. <laughs> I love it. It's the same answer that corrupt gave. So I suppose that's all good. Corrupt was like I'm always hip hop. Hip hop's just everything. So you and corrupt on that level. I that's, like it. A lot of people say that. A lot of people <laughs> compare me to corrupt. Of course. <laughs> but man, so we're going to go in, riding dirty, uh, 96. I'm glad you brought this, man. But I want to know from you, what, why? Why was it this album that you were like, yeah, that's the one I'm going to, I'm going to talk about. I want to talk about today. Well, you, you, you sort of access albums at different points in your life, right? Mm. And when this one showed up in my life, I was, a, I was early into my teenage years. I hadn't really done a bunch of living yet. 
that wasn't like a thing that so the very first few the very first time I heard it, I was like, I mean, this is cool or whatever, but it wasn't something that grabbed a hold of me because I didn't understand the stuff that they were talking about. I had never had anybody very close to me who had like passed away, for example. And that's a big theme on the album, um, especially in the song one, like a bunch of the stuff that they were talking about in there, I had not yet experienced in my life. So this is one of those ones where I listened to it when I was a kid because that's what you were listening to. That's what kids had. My, my buddy Miguel is the one who passed me this tape. And then I, I, like, I like played it and then I kept it moving. And then I was like, oh, yeah, Harlem World or whatever. Like this feels, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like yeah. Puff Daddy, shiny suit, whatever. Like I was, I was going through, through that route. And then I, when I got older, uh, I, I revisited the album. And then by that point, a bunch of the stuff that they talk about or a version of it anyway had happened to me. And then I was like, oh, fuck. There's like a movie that you watched too early and it w- and you were like, is this good? Yeah. Why, I want to watch the Ninja Turtles and Vanilla Ice, that movie. Yeah. Why are you making me watch uh, Michael Clayton or whatever? <laughs> and then you get older and you watch that one and you're like, oh shit, obviously. Yeah. Um, so when you asked about what album I wanted to talk about, this is, I mean, this is one of my five favorite albums mm. ever. Four of the other, the other four that are in that list were albums at the very first time I heard it. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. This is the one that, that was on there that was like a, like a time delayed fuse it had on it inside yeah. of my, my brain and in my chest. Can you pinpoint a moment when this became one of your favorites? Like when this album was like, oh yeah, that's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, it, w- it was around um, like 2009-ish is when it happened. Because in 2008 is when my grandmother who raised me passed away Hmm. and it happened quick it was like one day she was fine and then i got a phone call and they said hey grandma has cancer and you need to come home and i went home and and we were like all sitting around trying to like wait for the doctors to say this or say that and i remember she was trying to pretend she was trying to make it like not that big of a deal she'd be like oh i went for my checkup and they, they said this this or that and i remember she used the word metastasized and i had never heard that word before we didn't have the internet at our house so I think I went to like the library and I looked up what the word meant. I mean, we might've had it by that point. I don't quite remember, but I remember sitting at, the, at a computer typing the word metastasize and then reading what it meant in relation to cancer and be like, well, this is fucking not good, not good. Mm-hmm. And then six months later, she was dead. And so like, that was like a, a, a stretch of my life that was just like awful and terrible and bad. And around then I had come across this. I was living in Houston at the time. And this album is like as good as money in Houston. And I came across it again and I was listening to it. And, and I remember when the, the song One Day comes on, which is that's how the album starts. Mm. And just hearing like Ronnie Spencer singing, uh, Mr. 3 2 has a verse on there, Bond, Pimp, like whatever. Just hearing them, the way that they were talking about life and the end of life. And it was just like, it was very, very overwhelming. And then from that moment forward, it has just been like something that was attached to me. Could you say there's anything from either UGK as a group as artists or from this album? What is it in that, that you can't find in other artists and albums? Cause I know you love hip hop encompassing, but what was it about yeah. these guys? Well, part of it is they're from Texas and I'm from Texas for sure. And so a lot of the stuff they were saying, there's like a shorthand when you're talking to somebody who's from where you're from, mm. you don't have to explain a lot of stuff. They just say the thing and then you either catch it or you don't. Um, so there's that part of it. There's a, there's like a certain amount of regional heroicism that's in there. Again, it had been presented to me so early in my life. And then I revisited it later. Uh, if you ever had the chance to talk to like Bun B's, one of the three or four smartest people I've ever spoken with in my life, not just like in rap, I mean like across yeah. everything. 
it, it, there's like a, a, a thousand little things like that, that just sort of all line up to, to equal them being my favorite rap group of all time. Pimp one of the greatest producers of all time. Bun's one of the greatest rappers of all time. They can do all, they can do so many different things. And you watch them do this on this album. They're like, you, we're going to rap slow. We're going to rap fast. We're going to give you this. We're going to give you, they, they just like hit every single thing here mm-hmm. again. So like, that's why they're my favorite. Yo, 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 just breaking up this episode to tell you all about the Crate 808 Patreon, a place where you can help support the show so we can make you more dope rap chat and to go out there and get some bonus episodes under your belt and also get involved with the live chats with the Crate 808 crew and guests. Go to crate808.com or go to patreon.com slash crate808. Sign up for as little as buying us lunch every month. You can get two bonus episodes, including hidden gem album reviews from the golden era of the 90s and also you get our series focusing on mf doom and jay dilla and also the wu-tang chronicles once a month we drop an album review of every single wu-tang member we're going to go through every solo album and then review it for you guys and right now it's ghostface go in there get them ghostface killer editions in your catalog so get involved help us grow this show and yes big yourselves up enjoy the rest of the episode boom that's interesting because you're having it from the regional localized there you're kind of you know blood kind of thing you're you're from that same area from us mm-hmm. for, for over here hearing hip-hop generally is otherworldly you know just the language right. and you know just the atmospheres that they set and just everything about it it's beautiful to dive in but to hear ugk i was hearing things i'd never heard like their use of language and the sheer concrete hardness of like their lives and just their delivery there's one line that always got me which was like lap driving slab herders was like one mm-hmm. line <laughs> I don't know what a slab is. I don't know what that means, but it's amazing you can use words that kind of describe something. I'm not even sure I know what it is, but I know what it is, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's yeah. really amazing how they do And yeah, I, I just love the use of language. Right? This whole album is just amazing. Car culture. I, I, this is one thing that got, so obviously slabs, cars, and then there's another one where he talks about 50 elbows. I was like, what the hell is that? What is an elbow? And, you know, growing <laughs> up and kind of fine. Were you into that? Did you, were you ever, did your friends, into, were your friends into it? Were you into that culture at all, the car culture? We had, so we have a version of that. I grew up in San Antonio mm. and we have a version of that, but it's like low rider cars. But a lot of this stuff is the, it's like a saint, like a, a cousin of it. It's, mm. it's all very very similar, but it wasn't until I moved to Houston uh, 2004-ish, 2005-ish, when, when I like got to see it in person. Like That's a real thing that happens when the cars all get together and they, they're driving down the street slowly, like making this S pattern mm. and you see the big rims on there or just to like see them not even as like within that context, but just like parked outside of a Chipotle or whatever. Yeah. Like, and you see the car with the, with the rim, and you're like, that's fucking, that's cool. But yeah, when I was younger, we were very much into, to low riders, the cars and the, the, the bicycles as well. We can never afford one. It was like a thing you aspire to. You had like a low rider magazines or whatever that you bring in your, in your backpack to school and all that bullshit. <laughs> I love that. You know, what's really interesting about that and just about hip hop generally as an art, I suppose I'm always fascinated how the environment, your environment can kind of affect your art. So I think it was like Grandmaster yeah. Flash a while back saying, you know, if we'd had all these live drums, we'd have played live drums. But uh flats in the projects, you couldn't have live drums. There's people on each side of you. They'd all complain and mm-hmm. you, could, you know, and you think, oh, that's why you did what you did. And um I was reading up on Bumby and he was saying like how car culture is like the car wash is massive. Like people yeah. 
go around a car wash to be a community, a bit like the corner and a bit like, you know, barbershops and stuff like that. But car washes, mm. just found that really fascinating. Yeah, mm. I, I just wondered if you were into that. But, so we have these categories. Basically, I would like to know if any of these songs hit these categories for you, right? So we have five mic moments. So five mic moments is like a moment of sheer perfection. Have you any on this album? I know you do. So I was wondering where they are for you in this album. I have a ton. I have, this entire <laughs> album is a five mics al- album. I think the opening, so if you don't count the intro as a first song, then that means the first song on there is One Day, which mm. is absolutely perfect. It doesn't get, it doesn't get, it's the most concise the most accessible, the most profound explanation of how death works that has ever been written ever. Like not just in rap, I'm talking like bring in Shakespeare if you want. Nobody's ever talked about death the way that they do mm. on this song. But but you go from one day to to murder to pinky ring to diamonds of wood to three in the morning. Like it's a five stretch, a five song stretch. Excuse me. That I would argue has never been topped across any album. Like. Mm. They're, every single one of those five is absolutely bulletproof. It's perfect. And they all roll into one another. And they all like, we, like you literally go from a song about, about death and one day into a song about murder, killing yeah. murder. We go straight from here. Here's the one side of it. And then immediately, oh, but you also have to know about this. And then you jump over to, to Pinky Ring, which is very braggadocious and like a, mm. uh, about a certain kind of lifestyle that diamonds are with. But I think that stretch there, that five song stretch. It's like a five mics moment. Mm. Um, you pick any, pick any one of those songs and you can grab other songs that come later on. But, the, but, but that part in particular is just, it's as good as it gets that you can, you can maybe argue that there's other stuff that's as good. Mm. You can't argue that there's anything better than that stretch of songs right there. Five, five yeah. deep. We're not talking about three song stretch. Yeah. We're talking about five songs. That's, that's so hard. That's bad. That is bad. And three in the morning afterwards, even that has these moments in it as well. So I'm with you. I absolutely see it. There's moments when like I'm listening to it now and like you said, it hits different now. I had pink hearing on earlier and I didn't know my little lad was listening. I've got a four-year-old and to see a, a human's body morph his gait changed. He was like, like he was like, I was, oh my God, like you shouldn't even be hearing this for the lyrics, but the way he, he changed, I was like, there's something almost primordial. There's like something subconsciously amazing about this track. I, I love Pinky Ring and I know a lot of people and rightly so praise murder for, you know, the verses and, and the, the way they've tied these lyrics together. But I think in the nineties, is there anything as satisfying as hearing Bun B's verse, his second converse on pinky ring it's just so like the flow is god level flow uh, so i i have to shout that one out because it's just simply outrageous i'm not even going to bother trying to repeat what he said but if anyone would just go listen to bum b on pinky ring and it's just like oh my god you're so you screw face yeah all that man love it um he, he's he's bouncing across the top of it is the thing like with murder murder is like a knife fight and he's just in there just fucking jamming the knife into you over and over and over again. Yeah. And then when he shows up on Pinky Ring, which is immediately after that, it's not nearly as aggressive. It's way more fun. And it's like, well, you can catch me shopping, checking out the hose, bopping, chopping. Mm-hmm. Like he's just do, like, here's a whole other rhyme pattern that I'm going to do. Because you got to remember, this is back in the, in the uh, mid 90s when it was still very much uh, of, the, of the thought. People were still of the thought that if you were from the South, you didn't know how to rap. You couldn't rap. You did. You could do other things, but you couldn't really rap. Not like what they were rapping like in New York or whatever. Mm. And the fucking like back alleys of the Shaolin Temple. Like they, they were like, oh, they can't do this down here. 
And then Bumby shows up and he just across this whole tape with murder, especially, but across the whole tape, he's like every single thing that you need for a rapper to check off every box, I'm going to do it on here. And I'm going to do it as well as anybody has ever, has ever done it. I'm glad you like that verse. That's it's such a, it's such a great thing. Cause it's so much different than all the rest of the stuff on there. Yeah, absolutely. Yo, what up y'all? This is DJ Premier and you're checking out the Crate 808 Podcast. Hey, yo, 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 this is your boy Farrell March and right now you are rocking live with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, what's up? This is Del, the funky homo sapien, down with hieroglyphics, the funk pimp. Come on here for some good shit. Yes, yes, you are rocking with the best. This is the one and only Just Blaze. Right now you're checking out the Crate 808 Podcast. This is Open Mike Equal, and you are currently rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, peace and love to this homeboy C. Man, and you're rocking with the Crate 808 podcast. It's the place to be. So good for you. Hey, what's happening? This is Trevor Nelson, your R&B ambassador, talking all things R&B and hip hop on the Crate 808 podcast. Hey, yo, yo, check it out. This is the rapper Big Pooh, and I need you, 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 and you to make sure you check out this week's episode of the Crate 808 podcast. Tell everybody the rapper says so. I don't know. There's not many rappers who can tie sentences together as good as Bum B. His, the way he ties them together are just incredible. But without getting too geeky and analytical about it, do you remember moments where you were having to rep your Southern tastes in front of like New York people or or was, or was were you mainly just surrounded by Southerners anyway? So I don't know if you had to, but have you had to be in a corner oh, no. and fight? No, no, not in, certainly not in the mid nineties. Mm. But when I got older, yeah, definitely. Uh, especially as you like, it, once you become a, like a rap writer, or a critic or whatever, and you're talking about the stuff that you like, it's really like you, you, when you show up and you start saying, Hey, this album juveniles, 400 degrees is like as good as whatever you want to pick from, from New York or, or LA UGK's riding dirty is as good as anything you want to pick from over here. Like that becomes like, cause there's like supposed to be like a level of rap albums. You're not supposed to be able to compare other things to. Mm. And it's like, well, you can't load. No, you can't say that this is as good as that because that's not from this plate or whatever. Mm. Uh, but so when, when, you know, when, when I started to get into that point in my career, there was definitely a part, but at the time, no, at the time, UGK was, was like our version of, of Jay-Z and Nas and, El, and, and, El, and El and Wu-Tang Clan. Like that's what these guys mm. were. Cause you know, you were talking about murder a minute ago as well. Like with, it's even the track titles, like, as I said, the use of language and then coupled with the hardness of it, just murder. As a trial, try, just, just there's nothing more. It's murder. just murder. <laughs> like, murder. Okay, I know what I'm getting. It says it on the tin. Even the little things, like you know, the vocal stab, like that, that, that murder that they sample. The darkness mm-hmm. of just one word. I don't know where they got it from, but it's like a reg. It's almost reminds me of a reggaeton. Like it's just really like subterranean, almost like that one sample. And I was listening to it again today, and I was just like, you know, where this song belongs? It belongs when Frank White just casually goes in a limo to a cop. <laughs> funeral and just gets a shotgun and does a broad like murder and if that was playing in the car with frank at that time perfect it's a perfect song for <laughs> so i don't know there's just something about it i was like yeah this is this is incredible we talk about bumby bumby for yourself you said you've had a few encounters with him he's on the forward of your like book as well tell me what he means to you like what what is bun to you i mean he's obviously somebody who i've creatively looked up to for a long time um, i was so excited when i when I got the chance to talk to him to just to find out that he was like all of the things I was hoping he would be. He was just very obviously very smart. You can be smart without being insightful. He was also insightful. He was also, uh, he's also like just considerate. 
Like if I was as talented as, as Bun B, I promise you would never be able to get a hold of me. Like not ever. I would never answer an email or a text or whatever again. But you can text him right now and he he will hit you back in four minutes and be like, hey, what's up? How can I help you? You know, he's like Mad. that kind of person. We did a so I do this show called No Skips with mm. with Brandon Jenkins where we talk about different classic rap albums. And we did an episode on on Riding Dirty. And over the course of the show, I like told a few different stories about Bun B that I had like encountered while I was covering rap in Houston for X amount of years or whatever. But I think the one that like for this particular case, conversation the one that sort of identifies exactly the type of person he is is i was covering rap in houston for the houston press so i was going to like every local rap show that i could didn't matter how big or how small i was like mm. i was trying to make myself into the houston rap guy that was my goal tuesday night at like 11 p.m or whatever i would try to find whatever rap show i could go and go and talk to whoever was there and do mm. you know take some pictures and blah 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 but so i was a, i was at i was at like this like the back room of a bar it wasn't even attached i mean it wasn't like part of the bar it was like you walked in the front door of the bar and then out of the back door and then there was like a garage in the back it was like that kind of setup right. and there was a kid who was performing there like a very like he was very new to rap it's like his first ever show or second ever show or some crazy shit like that and mm -hmm. i got there and there was like seven people there six i don't know there was less than 10 people at this at this show and he was up on stage and i was just there minding my own business and fucking bun b walked in not too long after I did, he just has like a bottle of water and he's standing there and he's up, he's watching the, the kid perform and he's like bopping his head and the guy on the stage shouts out bun and he waves hello. And then the guy finishes and he hops off stage and they take some pictures together. And I don't know what bun B tells them, but then he just disappears into the night. He's gone. And then I went to the, to the, to the guy afterward and I'm like, man, that's crazy. I didn't know you fucking knew bun B. And he's like, I, I, I don't, he just like showed up. He just like heard about the show and he showed up and bun when he got there, it would have been so easy for him to just like take over the room. Because again, there was only nine people in there, eight people, seven people. Mm. But he didn't do that. He was like there and he focused all of his attention up on this guy. And he was like celebrating him, championing this young kid who was at the very start of his career. And then like two days later, a day later, Jay-Z was in town at the Toyota Center, so which holds 18,000 people or something, totally sold out show. And he brings Bun out on stage and they rap together. Uh, uh, and then he like disappears off into the night. But Bun B had like the same sort of reverence for this kid up on stage who had bar barely started his career as he did for Jay-Z, like the same amount of respect, Amazing. the same amount of consideration for the, for the art. It seemed like in both cases, like clearly the kid was excited that Bun was there because he's fucking bun b and yeah. it makes sense because you've never heard of this kid but jay-z was the same kind of excited that bun b was there it wasn't like i'm jay-z yeah, yeah who i brought it was like that's bun b am i cool with y'all now houston like that kind of thing right yeah. but bun's attitude never changed and this is of course uh, over the course of like two or three days i watched this happen and bun was a hundred percent exactly the same with both of these people mm. and i just thought that was the coolest shit in the world and then when i got to meet him and talk to him and like interact with him every once in a while like that's just like how he is all of the time and it's incredible that's why everybody loves him yeah. you can't find somebody to say a mean thing about bun b yeah that's amazing that's just it just makes you love that person even more those kind of stories i'm yeah. glad you shared that man i really am because when you listen, listen to him and you think about the context as you said earlier about like how people were saying southerners couldn't rap for him to just be like because didn't they say that this was the first album hip-hop album on pro tools and he yeah. was like 
I'm not going to punch in my verse. There's no way I'm punching it. I'm going to tell you how good we are. And that one take masterpiece on murder, which everyone, you know, well, anyone who knows hip hop loves that verse. But there was moments mm-hmm. in it where I, did, I didn't even know this till I was, that he was hungover and was sleeping under the soundboard in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> like what? He was even like that. And it's just, it, it, these kind of stories just make them even more gargantuan, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. use use of language again. What is it? Uh, I got jelly dripping from your belly, like jelly, jelly. Who's ever described blood as jelly? <laughs> you know who has? Nobody. Do, do you know who does it? Is when someone has seen so much blood that they liken it to a children's pudding. It's just, it's just <laughs> nothing to me now. <laughs> jelly. It's just, it's so like minor to him. But to us, it's like this is the hardest shit I've ever heard. So, oh man, just, just amazing. So I'm glad that we got <laughs> to talk about murder because it's just incredible. I think one of my favourite Bum B bars, by the way, is um, I think it's on international. Yeah, it's on international, where he says um, he chats up a girl and says to her i'll make you the eighth wonder of the world and yeah like, like come on like have you ever tried that is any how can you get away with that but he does and he's like <laughs> i'll make you the eighth wonder of the world and just imagine trying that in a club it's just it's just incredible hey what's up this is black thought and you are now rocking with the crate 808 podcast yo 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 yo, yo. this is stretch on Hey, yo, what up, y'all? This is Prince Paul, and you're rocking with Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, it's EV Evidence, Dilated Peoples. You're rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast, my favorite shit. Let's go. Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Master Ace from Brooklyn, New York, and you're checking out the Crate 808 Podcast. Real hip hop. We've got to talk about <coughs> Pimpsey as well and the genius of Pimpsey. I know you've written as well about, can you tell that story again that Bun told where he like reconstructed a track over like 15 years or something from like memory, which is crazy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so Bun, Bun talked about that when he did the foreword for the book about how he watched Pimpsey, again, one of the greatest producers ever. He makes the beat for for, for Quit to Hate in the South and he, he produced it for the very first time in 1994 for the album super tight um it had the same title and everything like that's what the this, this song was called and he finished making it mm. and then he decided like it's not it's not time for this song to be out yet and so he just like deleted it like erased it it was gone forever wow uh seven years later it's 2001 now they're doing dirty money and he he like recreates the beat again just from scratch like do 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 quit hate this out and then he's like sat with it for a bit and he was like nope it's still not time yet and then went until 2007 when they did underground kings mm-hmm. <clears throat> which the, by that point houston had had their big like breakout moment in 2004 2005 mm. when everything went like got pulled in their direction and then pimpsey gets out of prison and then they make the underground kings album and he recreates the beat again for the third time again he wasn't saving it he would just make it not it's not not yet and then delete it like <laughs> like imagine writing a thesis paper and then being like, well, it's not due yet. I'll just delete it. And then you have to rewrite it again from, from scratch. Jeez. Like he does that three times. Like the, the, like the kind of genius that you have to be to be able to do that. To not, not only to be able to like make the beat from scratch, mm-hmm. but yeah. to know when it's time for it to come out. 2007, the album comes out and he's like, now it's time. Now it's time. This is 13 years after he made it for oh. the first time. The third time that he had made it in general. 
but yeah. he makes it and they put it out. And then it was like, it was like a, like a, like, here's our statement. Here's our big, like, yeah. quit hate in the South. We're here now. And ever since then, the South has like run rap. It just has, it's inarguable. Mm. It's inarguable from around that period of the mid 2000s, 2007, especially we can call it, we could say what, from the time they released international players anthem from that moment forward, the South has just like run shit, yeah. run it. Yeah. Run it. Could you for could, decade plus? Could you decades. could you break that down for me then? What is it for you? Because I think you likened the South's emergence, like the way it became just the Colossus it is. You like it to Batman and Bane, I think I remember reading. It was like they're used to the dark. I live in the dark. And you'd you'd written about it like that. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's really interesting how the South came through because hip hop went that way as well. And it was ready. It was ready in New York and the West weren't as ready. Do you remember that? Uh, I don't remember writing that, but um, yeah, the, the like all of the music that has that has come out. I, mean, I guess you can't say all of it, but a lot of the music, the majority of the music that has come out since around then, has been wholly influenced by stuff that's come out of the South. Pick an artist, and you can like wiggle your way back to somebody from the South. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think Three Six Mafia are huge for that new. Well, not new now, but you know that sound that came with the trap. And mind you, I'm riding dirty. This trap beat. This is a, there is trap elements to all of it, and you just wasn't called that then. I don't know. There's 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 the atmosphere and the drawl, everything, the way they deliver. Talking about Pimpsy earlier, I was also like, when we saying he's a genius, and what you've said there qualifies that. But also, he learned piano by listening. I mean, how, how good do you have to be? Like that's so difficult. Okay, here's the here's one then. What are you good at? right that everyone else finds difficult what do you find apart from writing <laughs> apart from writing there's nothing and i'm not even that good at writing <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, i just i just got i got lucky but yeah there, I, I can't do anything as well as like pim c can do his fifth best thing mm. you know what i'm saying like yeah that's a different that's a different stratosphere people who could do that sort of thing you you you're not even allowed to like sit in the same building as they are because they're just different they're just Mm. They're just plugged into the universe in a different way. I'm not. I'm not that good at anything. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, as as I was tr like, we have another category, which is like hidden gems. And I know you say this album is like perfect for you, but do you think there's any tracks that maybe deserve a bit more shine? The most underrated song on this album. I mean, we talked about Pinky Ring. That would probably be be my pick because whenever people talk about this album, they always talk about One Day because mm -hmm. you have to, and they always talk about Murder. Those are the two songs that always. Papa. And then other songs like Three in the Morning, they their lives got extended just through like Houston rap in general because you had like all the stuff that DJ Screw was doing where he was making sure. use of, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, Pinky Ring for some reason, it's I think it's a perfect song and it hadn't hasn't been as elevated as the other ones. But that's why when we started, I mentioned that five song stretch that pinky ring is right mm. is right in there i think that's i think it's it's fucking great it's so good it's yeah. so good it's one of the funkiest tracks ever just generally period it's just one of the funkiest yeah <laughs> <laughs> it just is Th three in the morning though you mentioned and there's moments we talk about rewindable moments like you have that bun verse that is amazing that's so rewindable on pinky ring but there's a moment I always love now on this album, which is like the last 30, 40 seconds on three in the morning, because it goes for a, it's, it's, it's quite horrorcore, that track. Like it's a little bit more like, oh, I can imagine Gravedigger's like making stuff like this in the studio to, to like, <laughs> it goes from that, just goes away. And then it goes into some lounge piano, like instrumental where they just chat shit over it for 40 seconds. Mm -hmm. And it's perfect. It's how have you guys yeah, yeah, managed yeah. to marry that two things up and transport me to a world, you know, you've gone from, but I suppose that is their world as well. Like they do talk about, you know, 
the absolute shit they have to deal with. But then there's a line where Pimp's like, you know, just give me a truck and some weed and that's what makes me happy. And you're like, shit, like that's, you know, so they try to try to all marry up. So yeah, I had to give a, had to give a shout out to three in the morning there. Absolutely. <laughs> and the outro. That's another one. I don't know if it's because I'm old and my dad and I like my chilled outness a little bit more, but the outro is brilliant. It's so bluesy. This is a hip hop blues album, man. If you listen to it like fully, it's just, yeah, it's, it's all there, man. So yeah, I had to, had to shout those out. There was another thing. I, I, everyone's been chatting about the Beatles doc, right? And the Get Back documentary, everyone's talking about it. And it just had me think about hip hop. And I was like, look, wouldn't it be amazing if we had eight hours on something? Would you take eight hours? Of course you would, wouldn't you? But eight hours on this album, on UGK making this album. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I would trade this in for the Get Back so fast, like immediately. <laughs> it wouldn't even be a thing I had to think about. Yeah. Just like, I would trade one, I would trade 10 minutes. Oh, 10 minutes. I would like, I would like to watch of just them together, putting something like collaborating on a, on a thing, on a perfect piece of art. Mm. Yeah. I want to watch I want to watch that. The outro for this album is so great. It's such a perfect ender because what ends up happening uh, when you get to the end of a rap album is you either have to like find the perfect song to end it on. You have to get out of some sort of way. Mm-hmm. And what they decide to do here is they're like, well, just fucking let the music play and let Pimp C talk. And that's what he does. And he's just shouting out people. Usually something like that lasts for, I don't know, a few, like 30 seconds or something. Yeah. A minute. Yeah. Uh, and then on, on this one, the outro is, is nine minutes long. <laughs> it's, it's over nine minutes long. But it's long. You know, there's a song portion and then he's just, and then he's just going. And so by like minute three, you're in, you're like, fuck it, let's go. <laughs> and then he's just, yeah. Any name you, he, like he shouts out Shaq. Shaquille O'Neal, like just everybody that's in there. And it's so, it's so great. It's so great. And if you have it like queued up to like repeat in your, in your player that you choose, it goes straight from that back into the intro, Mm. which is smoke D making the phone call. And then you're like, well, here we go again. Here we go. And it just, it just fits. It just fits. Man, that's so true. And you talk about hardness of this album. Like they jump off the album with an intro from a guy in jail recording from jail like from that's jail the, that's the hardest intro like if you're starting there it's only gonna do you know what i mean and that's that's what i find is amazing and i don't know if they meant to put it in for humor or if they went for both or whatever but the realism of it was just amazing but you know we talk about uh language again just one more thing i had to say uh, again song titles diamonds and wood right in three words you transport me from wherever i am in england in a little village to in the car with you driving as your jewelry's on that you know wooden steering wheel whatever you know that you know mm-hmm. it, the imagery is just it's just astounding they can just be like yeah those three words will transport you there and ilmatic needed songs whereas this had just had a few words and you're like bang you're there Hey guys, this is Jerobi from A Tribe Called Quest. You're listening to The Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, yo, what's up, man? It's your man, Elzai, and you're rocking with The Crate 808 Podcast. You know what I'm saying? Where you can check out, you know, artists like me. Hey, it's Steve Rifkin from Loud Records. You're rocking with The Crate 808 Podcast. Spread the word. These guys are dope. The questions they ask and the interview is amazing. Enjoy yourself. Be safe and be healthy. One, two, one, two. You know what it is. This is your man, S-K-Y-Z-O-O, Sky Zoo, live out the borough. And this is The Crate 808 Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, 
But most importantly, share that love and put your peoples on. Peace and light. This is Sir Rock rocking with Crate 808 Podcast. And you want to check out everything hip hop on Crate808.com. Yo, this is Juggernaut, Nottingham City, NG area. You're rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. Make sure you keep it locked in. There's so many gems drop. Crate808.com. Hey, yo, this is the one and only R.A., the rugged man. And I'm rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast with my man Cam. Yeah. Here's one then. Is there any other moment in hip hop or or like making of you'd want eight hours of to watch? I would watch eight hours of that. I would watch eight hours of everybody making my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. I think that would be cool. Yes. And I would watch eight hours. I would watch eight hours of DMX making It's Dark and Hell is Hot. Yeah. I would watch eight hours of Missy Elliott making Super Duper Fly. I would watch eight hours of Snoop making Doggy Style. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would I would I would I would watch eight hours of, of Tupac making oh. all eyes on me. The album itself is fucking eight hours long already. <laughs> but anyways, but yeah, there's a, there's there's a bunch of them, but there there you go. That's my mm. whatever that is, five or six. There you go, man. Go that. That, that, that's amazing. You said mentioned oh. Pac there. And I have to just go into like the heart of this album. And there's moments in it littered throughout all of it from, you know, wiping away tears from your, like from your homeboy's mom and stuff like that. There's all these little lyrics that when I hear them, I can't help but think that's what, because Pac apparently loved this album. He was showing it by Scarface and stuff. I can see why that resonated with Pac. I can see it. A lot of it reminds me of Thug Life, you know, that Thug Life album that he brought out, which was mm-hmm. like so mournful at times and so sorrowful. You have that in this. And you've done it in your books before. We talk about what if moments. And I was just like, if I could play a little game with you, what if moments? What if Pac had survived and he'd worked with UGK? An outcast at that time, he wanted to work with them. What if that had happened? What do you think? Where would you Where would you take that thread? Oh shoot! I mean, it's going to be good, whatever it is. What I would be What I would be most interested in seeing is who's going to rub off more on who once they're in there together. If we're talking about outcast, or if we're talking about um, outcast or UGK. Let's mm-hmm. say we, we we do UGK, and you get it, and you get somebody as big of a personality as Tupac in the studio with somebody as big of a personality as Pimpsey, which oftentimes it's not that oftentimes it's one or the other. Like if you had, when you had Puff and big together, Mm. Puff was the big personality, big was sort of, I'll sit in the background and like, Mm. I'll be the talent part of this relationship. When you had like Dr. Dre and Snoop or whatever, Snoop was the big personality. Dr. Dre was like, Mm. I'll I'll, I'll be in the background. It was all oftentimes you like your, your best duos when big, or one, you know, one big, one loud, um, and the other, not that. But if you have both Tupac and Pimp C together, I think it's like if you fucking mushed two sons together. Like what? Like what happens in that moment? I have no, I have no idea. But I would love to see it. I would yeah. love to see it. Love that. There's one that is possibly one of my go-to things. Is again, I've been a fan for a while. Rap Yearbook. You have one line where it just says, "What if Shug Knight was a few two feet shorter?" I just thought, <laughs> just genetics. All of, all of rap looks different. <laughs> all of rap looks different. If he's two feet shorter, just, he's not. He he's not Shug Knight. He's just the guy at the gym, <laughs> the little guy at the gym, fucking 
throwing up 320 pounds on the bench press. <laughs> right, right. And that's it. That's it. That's all he is. <laughs> I don't think they'd be death row. I genuinely think through genetics and through, you know, that, I don't think there would be a death row or it would just be completely yeah. different. So yeah, that, that's what would, I love. It would be so different. It would mm. be so different. I forgot I wrote that. That's funny. Now, oh man, it's one of my favorites, all my go-tos. What if Pac had played Sharif in Menace Society? What if he'd got that role and done it? Would it make any difference? He would have been good at it. Mm. He's clearly a, a, a great actor, but I don't think, I, I think that's one of the movies where it's like, it's okay that he didn't get that one because it, it, it turned out great mm. otherwise. He was yeah. also supposed to play Baby Boy, the, the uh, Tyrese's character in, in the movie Baby Boy. Excuse me. I would, I would, I would like to have seen that one. Tyrese did great. He's perfect in that movie. I would like to see Tupac have yeah. taken a swing at that one. Because if you watch him in, in like in Juice, it's mm. like God dang. The, like how do you, you can't watch that performance and not feel like this guy would have at some point won an Oscar? Yeah. For what he's what he's able to do, you mm. know, all in the eyes, man. Just his eyes in that film. Yeah, yeah. Just right behind them pupils. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, I've got a few more here. XXL, that famous cover, 99, of Murder, Inc., of DMX, Jay-Z, and Ja Rule. What if they'd actually made an album together? Oh, I don't think it would have been good. No? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I think I think I think I think Jay-Z and, and, and Ja were just... It seems like they should fit together. Mm. But then you put them together and they don't fit. And I don't know like what the proper term is for that. There's got to be a word mm -hmm. for that, what yeah. that is. But no, those two, it just feels like they're close, but not the same. Like when two words look the same, but, but they have way different meanings. Yeah. That's what, the, that's what, that's what Jay-Z and Ja Rule feel like. Right. Just wouldn't have fit. Wouldn't have fit. Okay. Okay. Great. Another little category before we dive into the book and a bit more on that, it has been called only built for tenuous links. But I'm also trying to, it's how deep is your love for this album? So I just want to test a little bit, right? Of how deep <laughs> your love for Riding Dirty is. So forgive me if my NBA knowledge isn't up to standard on this one, right? But I know you're a big Spurs fan. And in 1996, mm. this album drops. You just got rid of Rodman in 95. But in 96, you lost the Western Conference semis, right? Mm -hmm. Would you have not taken this album, Spurs go on to face balls, in the finals? Oh, no, I wouldn't trade that. That's such an easy question because we got five championships. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But in 1996, you're in 96 now. You're 1996 Shay. And someone says to mm -hmm. you, not only do you get to the finals with balls, you win the finals. And there's this other album here called Riding Dirty. Which one do you want? In 96, which one would you would have picked? Oh, and I. In '96, I would have taken the Spurs for sure. Right, but if I like have to, if I have to go back now, if I could go back to 1996, Shay, I'd be like, "Don't fucking do it, dude. <laughs> it's gonna, t there's gonna be this guy. His name's Tim Duncan. He's gonna show up. It's gonna work out great. Don't do it. <laughs> and you're gonna want this album. Okay, okay, right. Tim Duncan's gonna turn up. Brilliant. So we're gonna go a little bit of film now. I looked at the highest gro grossing films of '96. You have to get rid of four of these right at the top five or we keep riding dirty right the top five are independence day twister mm -hmm. mission mm -hmm. impossible the rock mm -hmm. and ransom mm -hmm. would you get rid of four of them and keep riding dirty i'm picking this right now yeah so you, I'm just this like, one you're picking now yeah you're gonna press a button and these and the, these four movies are just gonna be gone from history nobody mm -hmm. will even know that they ever existed yeah it'll be that it'll be like that beatles movie oh yeah when the guy just like so yeah yeah he was he, he i'll be the only one that knows about that yeah yeah and i won't be able to talk and so yeah i would i would trade i would trade four of those what were the, what was the list again independence day twister yeah mission mm -hmm. impossible the mm -hmm. rock ransom mm -hmm. i would get rid of ransom that's a stupid movie um, <laughs> it is 
And Mel Gibson is like fucking Mel Gibson. Yeah, get him out of here. That's Mel fine. Gibson, yeah. I would probably get rid of out of those ones. The Rock. I mean, come on, don't do that to Cage. I would. Pro- I would probably. I would probably keep the Rock. Mm. I'd probably keep the Rock and get rid of and get rid of the other ones. So no I love a young. I, I love a young Will Smith. I, I'm fine with losing the first Mission Impossible because okay. I still have seven other ones that I can watch. Would they have made them? Bang. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, it's probably still for sure. Tom Cruise still for sure. <laughs> Even if even if they even if they started with Mission Impossible Two, which was terrible, and made enough money, they would have they would have just kept on cranking them out. I always Tom liked- Cruise would have made sure they made them. <laughs> I always liked number two because of Woo. And it was like, oh, it's Woo, isn't it? It's just like he's on that cliff and everything in the intro. And I went to the cinema to watch that. The intro's great. No, the yeah, it's so the best part fun. of the film. <laughs> it's the best part. But the after film. that, it's like woosh. Okay, no, here's one which I already know the answer to, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Van Damme, I'm sure you know this, made his directorial, di- directorial debut in 1996 with Roger Moore in a film called uh, The Quest. Would mm. you have taken 10 years of Van Damme action movies, 10 years stretch, he, The Quest is, um, turns out to be amazing, he turns out to be the next best action director, or no riding dirty, which one are you going for? Oh, I, I got to keep riding dirty. I love because this. again... This is like the Spurs <laughs> one. We have we already have the Jean Claude Van Damme action movies that like that rule. We have Bloodsport and we have Kickboxer. Yeah, and we have Universal Soldier and we have Lionheart <laughs> and we have like we have enough of them. The Quest was fucking awful. Yeah. The Quest was so bad. The Quest was was he was like, hey, remember Bloodsport? Let's run it back. <laughs> yeah. They just did this. They just did the same thing. But there's a fucking, <laughs> there's a hot air balloon or a blimp. It's not great. It's, okay. a, bad, it's a bad movie. I'm fine with yeah, okay. it. Shay's here. ripping this category to shreds, basically. this It's not going to live after this, this category. It's done. But we're going to go to Grammys. You can only mm-hmm. keep two of these, right? Or okay. no riding dirty. Best rap albums. These are the nominations. Poverty's Paradise, Naughty by Nature. E99 Eternal, Bone Thugs. Return to the 36 Chambers, the dirty version, ODB. I Wish by Skilo and Me Against the World by Pac. You can only keep two of them and you get to keep riding dirty or do you need to keep three? No, I do As long as I get to keep riding dirty, I'll, 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 out of that list that you gave me, all I need is Bone. He's 1999 Eternal. I'll okay. take those two over, over all the rest of them. Wow. That's fine. Okay. I fucking love that album. That's so good. <laughs> it is good. It is we'll talk about that album next time. Yeah, why not, man? Why not? Let's do it, man. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. Shay's absolutely murdered our category, which actually doesn't make any sense now. Now I'm like reading it back. That doesn't make any sense. Of course you'd keep riding. <laughs> of course you'd keep riding dirty. I want to go into your book now, man, and uh, hip hop and other things, movies and other things, the rap yearbook. I'm sure people listening have, have gone into these. I want to give people a bit of a flavor of what you're, if you haven't checked out Shay's writing, what it is actually about. And there's no better way to do this than just, just read out some of the chapter titles. So you've gone with right. which line on Illmatic is the most nauseous, which is great. Like I've not even read these chapters. I'm waiting for Christmas to sit back with a whiskey and to properly get into these chapters, right? <laughs> so what's the okay. best minute of the Black Thought freestyle? I, oh, what a brilliant chapter today. What's Lauren Hill's career shooting percentage? And what I need to touch on with you is, man, Dark Twisted Fantasy versus Could Good Kid Mad City. Mm-hmm. These are the titles. This is the flavor you're bringing. Now it's out. How are you feeling it's out? Is it like a weight lifted or are you on to the next project already? Are you like, damn, I've got to do something else now? Or are you just chilling? Right now I'm just chilling. Mm. The book came out in, The book came out in October. I usually, anytime that I have a book that comes out, cause it's been, it takes like 18 months of working on the book. And then you have a couple of months of just like dead air before it comes out. And then it finally comes out. 
And then it's crazy. But then by like, this came out in, at the end of October. So by like the end of November, things had settled down. Right now, I'm just like, I'm in relaxation mode up wow. until whenever I start the, whatever the next thing is that I end up doing. I have no idea what that is. Yeah, I'll figure it out next year. But from, from now to then, I'm just going to fucking do nothing. I'm going to watch Survivor <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but this is it. This is the, th- do you know, it's just beautiful to see a person's, our virtual writing since Grantland. And I'd love to touch a bit about Grantland. And I remember discovering you there and thinking, wow, this writer is exact. You give me a fresh perspective of something. You can read about Omatic your whole life, but to just the chapter title there about what's the most nice. I've never, no one's ever, that's a conversation in a pub over here. That's a conversation you'd have after a few pints and you'd be like, what is the most nauseous in life? That kind of thing. And um, so I just wanted to big you up on that and the spaces you kind of occupy now, which is like, obviously podcasts, you've been doing it for a while, but no skips, congrats on that. But so what, what is it then? You know, Grantland, we talked about that. Grantland, what, what do you miss about Grantland? And what, what was so special about Grantland to you when you, when you were there? Uh, for me, what was special about it was it was the first place where they gave me, like they paid real actual money for you to just like write about the cool shit that you wanted to write about. The one big difference there for me, I remember was like, I got there and I never one time had a conversation with anybody about like website traffic. That was never a concern is the thing that you're going to write. Will it generate enough clicks for us to justify writing about? That was never a thing that happened. They were just straight up like, write about the stuff you want to write about and we'll take care of all of the rest. And I thought that was I thought that was super cool. And then that's like a, that's like a thing that, that carried over into the ringer when they started up the ringer, same sort of thing. Mm. Uh, I, I remember that a lot. And I, and then I re- remember being showing up there and being like, Oh fuck. Like this is a real roster of murderous writers. It was like Wesley Morris mm. and Molly Lambert and, and Rembert Brown and Emily Yoshida and yeah. Sean Fennessy and Chris Ryan. And it was like, mm. Every single person who was sitting in a meeting, I felt like was better than me. It's like you got drafted by the fucking 73 win warriors and you're just yeah. sitting on the bench like, oh shit, how do I keep up with mm. this? I, like that was a very real feeling I had the first couple of times that, that I hung out there. That's probably what I remember the most or th- when I think back on it. That's what I remember the most fondly mm. is just having that feeling of being like, that's Zach Lowe. Oh shit. (laughs) Sitting across from me at this table. I have to pitch, I have to pitch ideas after Zach Lowe pitches ideas. It's so stupid. But, but so as a creative then, as someone who's working in the industry, I'm sure there's loads of people, especially younger people who listen to this podcast, you know, how do you power, do you just power through? Do you believe in yourself? Do you lean on your fam? Do you lean on other peers? Like how did you power through to get to well, actually, no, I, you know, did you actually, you ended up feeling like you deserved that seat at the table, right? At some point. Not, not during my time at Grandland. Oh, really? Um, Interesting. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And what, maybe when the, when the rap year book came out. And so 2015, when that book made the bestseller list, I remember that, that this guy from GQ wrote an article that said, Grantland's Shea Serrano makes New York Times bestseller list or something like a version of that was the title of the article. And that was the very first time I remember reading it and feeling like, and feeling like I was at that moment contributing to the prestige of Grantland versus me benefiting from the prestige of Grantland. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was, it was maybe around, it was maybe around then, but by that point, Bill was already gone. Mm. Um, Sean, Chris, Mallory, Juliet, they were already gone. It was like, yeah. We were at the we were at the end of of that run. Shortly thereafter, like literally weeks, two weeks thereafter, um, that that happened, Grantland shut down. 
Damn. And that was, and that was the end of it. So it was like a very small window where I felt like, oh, I kind of belong here. And then it got taken away real, real quick. Damn. Oh my God. But I hope anyone listening, that just shows, you know, you can get through this stuff and build and build and build. It's just the adversity can be like, it's about the album, right? There's adversity and people just like kind of, you, you have to get through it and power through it. And yeah, I just thought it's just fascinating. You say it like that. There's moments then all over your work you've done. You touch on 90s. This is a 90s podcast. So I need to talk to you a little bit about 90s hip hop, right? My first question was, obviously being a massive fan of The Office, who for you, if you can think of it, is the Michael Scott of 90s hip hop? <laughs> the Michael Scott of 1990s If there is I have no, I have no idea how to answer that <laughs> question. There's, pro- there's, there's probably not. Because if, for it to be the 1990s Michael Scott, of rap you need somebody who was like completely unaware of who they are as a person completely not cool and completely not understanding the joke of the moment or the the like temperature of the moment Mm. and all of my favorite rappers from the 90s were like the opposite of that they were a hundred percent in the complete opposite direction of who michael scott was okay. on the office yeah no absolutely yeah you're right so take that that's my answer <laughs> batted it right back <laughs> out of the park love it okay that's all good that ball's fucked off we're not going to get that back so it's all good but right okay then let's go into woo little category we've got here i want to talk to you about ghostface right we have a ghostface series and we talk about ghost every solo album he's done right if you had to you have to have any piece of ghost face swag so it can be the eagle on the arm it can be the man glow the one. It, are you taking that one <laughs> i'm taking the eagle i'm taking the eagle so fast <laughs> there was the, the ice cream cone the mask nothing just the eagle the mask is second place when we did the when we did the book Mm. I wanted to, I, Ghostface is one of my favorites too. Mm. Like, in part because of the like iconography of the, of like his look. Yes. And so I was like, we gotta, we gotta have him in there. So we had Ghostface with the mask and the big eagle mm-hmm. bracelet and everything. Uh, but the bracelet is fucking top level rap memorabilia. It's gotta be worth millions of dollars. It has to Just be. like, has to you know, be. from a nostalgia standpoint. It has to be. So you, you, you have it now. It's in your possession, Shay. You have to wear it to a, a wedding. B, a funeral. C, a job interview. Which one are you, or all of them? Oh, I, I would never take it off. I would be wearing it right now. It's fucking incredible. It's a giant eagle. Who has done that? Like, who has done that since then? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. Right. We need more of it, I think. like We need more of it. Where did it go? It was such a good idea. Yeah. Establish a base and then put whatever you want on the base, whatever I, you want. You're, I always love the it's man. It's like a hood ornament. It is. It is like, I always love the man carrying the earth, like, like Atlas, yeah. like the whole, that, that was yeah. like, come on. But you're right. Slick Rick, all that started it. They amplified it. Where's the next one? Mm-hmm. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm with you. Okay, cool. Um, so another one then, three album runs. We talk about three album runs. As I say three album runs to you, are there any that you think of immediately where you're like, yeah, they're, they're the best three album runs? Uh, you probably have to have, I mean, you can put UGK in there. So you're going um, with Super Tight or are you going the other way? No, you could probably go, I, I think it's interesting to go Too Hard to Swallow, then Super Tight, then Ride and Dirty. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fun one because I remember Bun said at one point that Ride and Dirty was like the first fully cohesive thought that UGK put out like the two albums before then weren't that mm-hmm. right and dirty is when they is when they arrived at that 
I like picking that three album run mm -hmm. to watch the progression of them, like working their way toward this perfect moment. Mm -hmm. I think that's like, it's like a, like a trilogy, right. And you're building toward yeah. the, the, the big finale. Um, there's that part of it, but there's also like the imagery of it is cool as well, because it's all like on the too hard to swallow cover you have bun. He's like squatted down and pimp C is standing over him. <clears throat> if you, if you, if you like, follow what happens there. So in that case, bun is low, pimp is high. On the next one, on super tight, they're both equal, equal heights. And then on riding dirty, now bun is in the forefront and pimp C is in the background. And I think it, I think that's like a cool bit of imagery that speaks to, to the way that bun sort of arrived to riding dirty as like, okay, I'm the face now. Mm. I'm the best rapper now. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I think that, I think that's fun, but that's brilliant. You are like, you can put Kanye in there. I would, I would go at graduation 808s and my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Okay. If you like need a stretch at three. Right. That's, I think that the, like, that's a perfect one. You can grab Missy Elliott. I like you can grab one. a three, a, a three album stretch from her. Like mm. those are probably the, those are probably, think yeah, I'm going to go with, the, I'm going to go with those three. Tribe, okay. Tribe works too. Tribe works too. Are you um, more, Midnight Marauders or more low end theory? Uh, low end theory. That's why we get on. Yeah. This is why I love you, Shay. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I love you. Because if it was Midnight Marauders, there'd just be a cancellation of this. There'd be no more feed. It'd just be ended. Midnight, Marauder, Midnight Marauders <laughs> no. is great. No, I it's love great. You. But I if do. you got to pick one, yeah. low, end theory, low end theory for me is just a, just a beautiful album. Yes, so good. absolutely. Well, man, that, that was beautiful. Thank you. That, they were kind of the ones that I had as well. Uh, and you, by the way, big up Dart Adams, because you put Dart Adams onto the book as well. And as a fact checker, when he came on and did Gangstar, and he absolutely smashed that out of the pot. Oh, Dart is, Dart is, Dart is incredible. I had so much fun working with Dart because he's just, he just knows everything. <laughs> you sit down, you sit down to write a book and you're like, I know a lot about rap. <laughs> and then you talk to Dart Adams and you're like, I don't know anything about anything because <laughs> so he just true. fucking... I don't know how his brain does what it does, but it's just, mm. it didn't. And so he was the fact checker for the book and mm. the researcher for the book. And it didn't matter when I email him at three 45 in the morning. Mm. Hey, I don't know how to, I can't find this, 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 this. And he emails me back at three 52 in the morning with like a picture of the actual thing that I need. Cause he has it in his own personal archive. It was incredible. Yeah. He was so good. I know. I call him the hip hop matrix. It's just that's a great name. The world through, like you know, always oh, here's the hip hop matrix. Here he is. He just bang, just get, navigates <laughs> it all for you, and he never sleeps. Like I'm on Twitter DMing him about some album or something. I'm like you, you know. I just give him dot. Do you know this? And he's like, I'm awake. Do you ever sleep? He's like, well, there's writing always. to be done. There's there's research to be done. So yeah, I I I, I love the fact that you got him on I, the book. I remember before I worked with him. I was following him on Twitter already, but, and I would see him post like a picture and he would have like two laptops and a TV going. And like, he's like, and a bunch of stuff spread out. And he's like, this is me doing my work. And I was like, that's just fucking, you're just taking a picture and putting that up there. You're not really doing all this. Mm. And then I got to work with it. All, I was like, Oh shit. He's really doing all of this all of the time. It's un, it's unreal. Yeah. Well, I admire all of you for doing all this unreal work, all of you together. It's great to see collaborations like that as well. But um, thank you for jumping on, Shay. It's just been an absolute honour. It's been, this has flown. I'm sorry for taking up more time than I, than I should have. But uh, last question then, I have to ask you before you go, what is the last great piece of music you heard? Could be old, could be new, just the last great piece you heard. You know what I listened to on the way to work today? Mm. There's a group out of Houston called the Chop Stars. It's this coalition of DJs. Mm -hmm. run by og ron c 
Right. He's like the the extension of DJ Screw. They make chopped, not slopped albums. So DJ Screw made chopped and screwed albums, mm-hmm. and then he passed. And OG Runcy sort of took up the mantle, and 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 has done like a modernized version of that ever since then. They make chopped and screwed tapes, but they're called chopped, not slopped, and they're beautiful tapes. They're really, really good at it. And the one I was listening to this morning, because it's that sort of music to me is really good to listen to early in the morning or like late at night. Because it's everything is slowed down and it just sort of flows. Yeah. But I was listening to they made a they made a chop nut slot version of the Silk Sonic tape. Oh Bruno Mars and the Anderson Pack. And it's so good. It's so, so, so good. I just okay. keep listening to it every every morning on the way to work. Um and late at night, like at one in the morning, I'll just put it on and sit there with my headphones. Um that's the that's the that's gonna be my answer here. It's the last that's, great thing I listened to because I listened to it a few hours ago. That's heavy. I love that. Brilliant. I'm gonna have to check that. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you, Shay. I appreciate you. Big up to yourself. Much love to the fam. And man, just keep smashing it. Doors are open if you ever want to jump back on and we can talk about hip hop anytime, man. I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. (laughs) Thank you, bro.